Amen. All right, as the uh, ushers bring by the baskets, don't forget to drop your uh, connection card in there. Hey, listen, if we haven't met yet, this is your first time, or we just haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Benjer. I'm one of the pastors here at Flourishing Grace, and I'm excited for today. Um, today is actually the end of a series we've been in for about the last uh, three months or so, for about 12 weeks, and we've been walking through um, the book of Acts, and, and, and you might eventually um, you know, kind of think about it today and say, Benjer, we're not even going to get through the end of chapter 9 today, and there's 28 chapters in Acts. Don't worry, we're not doing 20 chapters today to finish up the book of Acts. We're going to come back to this at another time. We didn't want to bite off the whole chunk um, in just one summer, so we'll come back to it. But before we dive in today, I want to invite you back next week. Um, maybe uh, you've been gone a little bit this summer and, and uh, it's been hard to, to really get plugged in. Maybe today is your first Sunday. Next week, um, Pastor Josh is going to begin a four-week series um, walking through Psalm 119 and just simply talking about the Bible. What is the Bible? Uh, where does it come from? How do we read it? How does it change our lives? Um, maybe it's been something that you wanted to get into. I just want to read the Bible a little bit more. I want to help my kids do that. You don't know Okay, sorry about that. Um, maybe you don't know, uh, you know, kind of where to dive in. I mean, you don't want to miss these next four weeks. Uh, maybe you've been gone a little bit. Next week is a great time to bring a friend and just to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to commit to being here every single Sunday in August uh, and not miss a single one of these Sundays in that series because it's going to be an incredible short but super practical, super helpful series on just what the Bible is and, and, and how we read it. Today, we are finishing up our series in Acts, and so if you want to just turn to Acts chapter 9 and, and stick your thumb in there and, and, and be there for a second, we're going to get to that in a minute. Um, if you didn't bring a Bible, maybe you forgot it, there's a Bible underneath your seat. Uh, it's a blue Bible. We're going to be on page 1016 in that Bible. Uh, if you don't have a Bible at home, maybe you lost yours, you don't have one, um, uh, you're welcome to take that. We'd love for you to take that Bible, write your name in it, and, uh, and we want those to walk out the door. That is yours. It, it's our gift to you, so if you don't have a Bible, please take that. But put your finger there for a moment, because uh, if you've been gone for this summer, again, if it's your first Sunday, um, there's a couple of things I want you to know about the last 11 weeks that we've walked to, kind of two highlights that'll help today make a little bit more sense. Um, the book of Acts is really kind of the history of, of the early church, uh, the events that happened around when Jesus um, ascended into heaven after he rose again from the dead, and what it looked like for God to kind of take this from a small movement of about 120 people and, and grow uh, his kingdom, his gospel, and help people, just thousands upon thousands of people, come to know Jesus and how um, essentially all of us around the world eventually came to even hear the name of Jesus. Um, in Acts uh, chapter 1, the very first week, we looked at one verse, um, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and Jesus, Luke records Jesus talking to uh, some of his closest followers, and uh, he was getting ready to ascend into heaven, so these are kind of his, his final words to his followers here on earth, and, and one of his followers speaks up and says, hey Jesus, so is this the time? When you're going to kind of make your kingdom real on this earth, this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's not for you to know, but, but I got something important for you to know. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This statement Luke uses, this statement that Jesus makes, Luke uses as kind of a table of contents or a thesis statement almost for the entire book of Acts. 
that, that this gospel, this, this knowledge of who Jesus is, people coming to a, a saving knowledge of Jesus, it is, it is spread by God's power through his Holy Spirit. But he uses human beings like you and I, those of us who are followers of Jesus, to be his witnesses. And, and it's going to be his followers that take this gospel around Jerusalem and then around the regions around that, Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And so far today, uh, up to today, we've seen um, stories about, man, how this has happened in Jerusalem. There's been a, a, a few incredible events that we've read about in Jerusalem where thousands of people have come to know Jesus. Um, we have seen um, Jesus' name, the gospel, be spread throughout Judea and a little bit of Samaria. But we haven't really gotten to the end of the earth yet. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Today, Luke gives us the turning point in, in, in God's kingdom, in, in this message of who Jesus is and, and how he came to rescue us. He died on the cross for you and for me. He rose again from the dead. Luke uses today what we're going to read as a turning point where this goes from a movement that's in Jerusalem and some of Judea and some of Samaria and, and kind of sparse parts throughout the world to truly going to the end of the earth. We're going to be talking about a guy named Saul. Now, if you grew up at church at all or, or maybe read to the end of the book, um, you know that Saul is also known as Paul. Um, Saul is his Hebrew name, and he also has a Roman name because he's a Roman citizen, which, which God used in incredible ways, and his Roman name was Paul. And so as he travels around the world, he begins to go by Paul rather than Saul, but both, both of those are the same person. So for the ease of today, since the, the, what we have today in Luke chapter 9 calls him Saul, I'm going to call him Saul, but if I slip up and I call him Paul, I'm still talking about the same guy. Got it? Good? So if you know about Saul, you know that Saul eventually travels around the known world and tells the world about Jesus, begins planting churches in different, different cities around the Roman Empire. But many times we forget or we gloss over where Saul came from. I mean, the last time we heard from Saul, before today, the last time we heard from Saul was after the stoning of Stephen. A couple of weeks ago, um, we heard about Stephen, um, told uh, some, some Jewish people some, some about Jesus, and, and he was brutally murdered for it. People didn't want to hear it, and he's, he's just trying to, to help people from, from his own culture learn about Jesus, and he was stoned to death. And Saul oversaw his execution. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, starting in verse 1, we read this. And Saul approved of his execution, of his brutal murder. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging, like this word ravaging is used about wild animals just tearing things apart. Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And then we get to our passage for today. And out of reverence for the word of God, if you would, as we read Acts chapter 9, would you please stand with me as we read God's word, Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 22. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard suddenly, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, 
why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized and taking food he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples of Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him, were amazed and said, is, this, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem and of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. So as we walk through... This passage in Luke today, and if you were to sit here, if we were to read it three or four times, um, it would become clear that Luke is, is telling this story kind of on two different levels. There's, there's two layers to the story that, that Luke tells. And many times we kind of emphasize one, one over the other, but, but I want to bring to us today and, and put on the table kind of both of those layers. And then at the end of that, we're going to just kind of smack it together and, and put it together and, and see what God has for us there. So the first layer, as we read through this passage, is the fact that God used Saul as part of his plan to take this gospel, this good news about Jesus, the, the, the good news that Jesus came for you and me. He rescued you and me by dying on the cross, defeated death by rising again from the dead. God used Saul in his plans to take this gospel, this good news, to the end of the earth. Remember, this is a, a turning point. And as we read this, we think, man, this is, this is a crazy plan. I mean, just in the first few verses, we hear about how Saul is ravaging Jesus' church. About how Saul is taking the very people who are followers of Jesus, who are committed to helping people know about Jesus. Saul is trying to squash this movement and end it. And this is... This is total conjecture, okay? So this is, this is just in my own head. This is, this is not in the story. But I just kind of imagine God sharing this plan, maybe up in heaven, with some of the angels who are there and saying, okay, 
we're finally, okay, we're ready for this plan. We're, you know, we said we were going to take this gospel. They're going to be our, my witnesses. Uh, it's going to be in Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria. And we're ready to take this to the end of the earth. And I can imagine the angels up there, maybe with a notepad and, and just ready to go. Okay, are we going to freak out some shepherds again? All right. We need a whole choir thing. We are amazing singers. Like, we got this down. Maybe there'll be like this, this natural event that we're going to kind of step into nature and, and do something incredible. Maybe an earthquake, a storm, something. Like, this is going to be amazing. And they're waiting for this. And, and God says, you see that guy down there? Like, yeah, Saul? Yeah, I'm going I'm to use him. And he's going to be my chosen instrument. And they're like, you realize you're God and all, but you realize this person is actually doing everything he can to stop your gospel? God says, yeah. God reaches down and he intervenes in Saul's life to bring this gospel, to bring this good news about Jesus to the ends of the earth. Which, which sounds crazy to us. And, and if we're honest, like... It sounds crazy to Ananias, too, right? Because God appears to Ananias and says, hey, listen, um, you are going to help this guy Saul. Uh, you're going to teach him a little bit about Jesus, and he's going to be my, my chosen instrument. And, and it's, I think we can forgive Ananias a little bit for being a little bit confused at this point, right? In verse 15, uh, sorry, in verse uh, 10, um, Luke says, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. Great, Jesus, whatever you want me to do, all right? Whatever, whatever you want me to do, I'm sure this is a great plan. And the Lord said to him, all right, go see Saul. And then he's very specific because at this point, you know, Saul's a semi-common name. And so surely it couldn't be this Saul. And so Jesus is super specific. Go to this specific street, to this specific house because you're going to help this guy, Saul. And Ananias is like, hold on, hold on. Verse 13, Ananias answers, Lord, I have, I have heard from many about this man, about how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. We know what he has done. And what's more than that, he's come here to Damascus to do the very same thing. Verse 14, he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. God reaches down and he intervenes in Saul's life and he intervenes in Ananias' life because he is bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now let's just step out of this story for a moment. If you've ever thought that your resume wasn't good enough to be used by God, this should encourage you, right? Because the only thing on Saul's resume was that he was working against the church, that he had overseen the execution of a follower of Jesus. And as far as we know, he had intended to do this again and again and again until this movement was squashed. It wasn't Saul's resume that impressed God. It wasn't because Saul was in a position to be able to help. And he said, well, you know, everything else hasn't kind of worked, so this is my plan B. No, Saul is God's plan A. This is part of God's plan to bring his gospel to the end of the earth. He sovereignly reaches down and he intervenes in Saul's life for his own purposes. God uses us for his own purposes. Many times we don't believe that, right? Many times we think, well, well, God, maybe if I could just get my act together, maybe if I could just go to church a little bit more. It's not like God's looking down and he's like, man, look at Saul. 
Man, he's, he's praying a lot. So this is, this is, he knows a little bit more of the Bible. He's learned a little bit more. And he started going to church. He's joined a small group. I guess now I can use Saul. No, God says, listen, I will use whatever instrument I choose. And Saul is my chosen instrument. Now, think about that word instrument for a minute. And we can use that in many ways. It can be a, a tool. Um, it can also be a musical instrument. Um, personally, I play the piano. And uh, I, I love the piano. My girls play the piano. It's a ton of fun. And um, when we used to live up in Ogden, um, on, uh, on days when we didn't have much to do, I would actually take my girls to a local piano store up there because I love going and looking at these incredible grand pianos. And we've got a really nice piano. Uh, it, was, uh, it was Jennifer's mom, and, and it was gifted to us. And, and, and when we actually tune it, it holds a tune. Our girls love it, and, and they play it. It's, it's, it's joy for us to have this piano. But, man, when I go to this piano store and I play one of those nine-foot grands, it makes me sound so much better as a piano player. And many of them, this is how, this is how we consider God working. That God looks around and says, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose the best looking or, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find the one that, that makes me look better. But it's really the opposite situation. Despite who we are, despite our brokenness, despite our rebellion against God, which is where Saul was, God uses us. And why? To bring his gospel to the ends of the earth. That's layer one. Layer one is God uses Saul to bring his gospel to the end of the earth. When you read the rest of Acts, when you read the rest of the New Testament, you know that Saul went from being one of the biggest opponents to this, this new movement, to Christianity, to this gospel, to being one of the biggest proponents, and he eventually gave him his life for it. It's layer one. Layer two that Luke tells us about is exactly what God was doing in Saul's life. If layer one was kind of the big picture about God's plan to bring his gospel to the ends of the earth, layer two is kind of zooming in on Saul's life and just seeing how Jesus transforms his life. At the beginning, we see Saul ravaging his church. And Jesus intervenes in his life. And, and notice one of the first things that he does. In chapter 9, verse uh, 3, Saul is going on his way. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Saul, for the first time in his life, perhaps, is led by God. And this isn't a situation where all of a sudden Saul says, you know what, I've, I've considered this for a while and I'm ready to be led by God. No, God, because of his grace and mercy, because of his grace and mercy, he intervenes in Saul's life and he brings Saul to a point where Saul is finally ready to be led by God because he has no other choice. God orchestrates situations in our life. And this is one of those tensions where it, it, there's no right answer sometimes. And, and we talk about suffering. We talk about times where we wish things were differently. God orchestrates and he uses the, these events sometimes in order to bring us to a point where we realize we aren't God. Saul, to this point in his life, um, he tells us later on in some of his letters, he had actually had an impressive resume. 
He had climbed up the religious and the social ladder. He had done all the right things. He had impressed the religious leaders to the point where he was finally a Pharisee, where he was among the best of the best. He was a young man at this point, but he had quickly climbed the social and the religious ladder. He was impressive to all those around him. He was the one leading others. He was the one people looked up to. I mean, not everybody could go to the chief priests and say, hey, I've got this plan. I want to go to Damascus. Can I have some letters of extradition so I can arrest them and bring them back here for trial? Not anybody could do that. Saul had tremendous influence. He was looked up to. He was respected in his community. He had never allowed himself to be led a day in his life, and God orchestrates events in his life until finally he's at the point where he has no choice but to be led by God. It's a complete 180. Maybe that something's going on in your life and they are difficult. It may be that God is using these events, not just for, for, for no purpose, but he's using these events to bring you to a point where we realize, man, I'm not God. I'm not in control. I don't have this all together. I am not the one in charge. God is. Next thing that Saul allows himself to do is to be instructed. God sends Ananias. So Saul is instructed by God. At this point, Saul doesn't seem to know what's going on. Ananias has to come and explain a few things about who Jesus is to him. And in the midst of that, Ananias leads Saul to a point where he puts his hope and his trust in Jesus, who he has seen. In verse 17, Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and he was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. God works in Saul's life to bring him to a saving relationship to himself. And here we have these two layers. We have the first layer where Saul is used by God on on kind of a big picture scale. God intervenes and he says, Saul is part of my plan. He's my chosen instrument. I'm going to use him to bring this gospel to the end of the earth. And on the second layer, God is intervening in Saul's life for Saul's sake and for, for God's glory to transform his life and bring somebody who was an enemy of God, who was rebelling against God, who was literally murdering followers of Jesus, brings him to a point where he is a follower of Jesus. And we take these two layers together, and if we put them together, because if we keep these separate we don't, always, we don't always get the big picture. Sometimes the temptation is to take one layer and we're all about God's kingdom and we're all concerned about what's going on out there and did you read that law that was passed or can you believe this injustice or can you believe what they're saying about Jesus or can you believe those people and we're concerned about God's kingdom but when somebody steps into our life and says, hey, what's Jesus doing in your life? You're like, I'm good. Jesus saved me. Can't you say, I'm fine. We emphasize God's kingdom over personal transformation. But if we emphasize the second layer, 
then, then it's all about us. And it looks really spiritual because we go to a ton of Bible studies and we know all the songs and Caleb's always on the stereo in our car. And, and, and man, we're always praying. And can I pray for you? And it's really good things. These are extremely good things. But when we neglect the first layer, we have no interest in being a part of what God is doing in this world. So when we take both layers and we stick them together, we learn that Jesus saves us through the gospel through this good news that he came and he died for you and for me and for his kingdom. Both of those are crucial. Both of those were present in Saul's life. Jesus saves us through, his gospel, through the gospel, through his grace, by faith. Not because of anything we have done, but because of what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. Saves us through the gospel for his kingdom. Now, Saul understood this. Saul, when he was known as Paul, he wrote a letter to a guy named Timothy. Now, Timothy was a young pastor. He was a guy that, that Paul met when Timothy was young, and he mentored him, and he put him in charge uh, of some ministry. And, and as Paul did his travels and he went to prison, he kept in touch with Timothy, and he would write Timothy. And one of the things he tells Timothy is this. In 1 Timothy, we'll be up on the screen right here. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 through 17, Paul says this. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Meaning this is, this is, this is a tested statement. Paul uses this phrase often to show that what he's about to say, man, this is, this is a rock that you can set your life on. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Now, we, some of us memorize this verse. We love verse 15. Some of us, it's on a coffee mug or maybe it's on a note card somewhere and you remind yourself of this because it's, it's true. It's true in my life. I mean, if you knew me, I, when I was in high school, I had no interest in who Jesus was. I was angry. I was an alcoholic. I was living only for myself and for my own glory. I love this verse. And when Christ changed my life, I couldn't shut up about Jesus because I knew that he had saved me and that he had saved sinners and that I was one of the worst of them. We love this verse, but many times we don't stop. We, we, don't, we don't keep going. We stop there. Verse 16 says, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. In other words, Paul says this. That Jesus puts his patience on display in our lives so that others can see it. Jesus shows us patience, yes, for our sake, because he intimately loves us. Jesus said that he knows every single hair on our head. It's not some sort of general love. Yeah, I love everybody, so I guess I have to love you too. This is an intimate love. When he hung on that cross, he didn't just die for a collective group of people. He died for individuals. He intimately knows you and loves you. He showed patience in your life, but not just for your own sake but to put his patience and his glory on display in our lives. Jesus saves us through the gospel and for his kingdom. 
when we forget about one of those layers, it becomes really lopsided. We forget about the first layer. When we forget about God's kingdom and it all becomes about me, it becomes about my preferences, it becomes about the songs that we're singing, it becomes about, man, I'm, I'm here and I'm, I'm part of this church as long as it makes me comfortable. But as soon as I'm, as I'm encouraged to step outside of my comfort zone, as soon as I'm encouraged to serve in some way, as soon as I'm encouraged to be about God's kingdom outside these four walls, I don't want any part of that. It looks really spiritual, but, but at its heart, when we don't care about God's kingdom, it's really a faith that's about me. Or if we ignore the, the, the personal part of it, if we ignore the layer where, where, where Saul, Jesus has come into his life and he has intervened in his life because Jesus loves him, then we, we become kind of judgmental. We're concerned about everything that's going on out there. We're concerned about what's happening in our neighborhoods and in our schools and the news and what they're being taught and who's doing what to whom and what injustices are happening. But we're not concerned about the injustices right here. What Jesus wants to do in my life and how he wants to transform me. Jesus saves us through the gospel and for his kingdom and, and what that looks like. Maybe you're here and you're, you're not a follower of Jesus. Jesus is intervening in your life right now to show you who he is, to put his patience on display. That's why you're here when you swore you'd never step foot in a church again. Or that's why you're here listening to this message and this passage and these songs on this day. Jesus is intervening in your life to draw him to your to, to draw you to himself. It's possible to sit in these seats day after day, week after week, month after month, and even for years, and have never put our hope and our faith in Jesus. Maybe you're here, and, and the reason why you're here is if you've got kids now, and, and you want to get your kids in church, and, and you love what happens here, and you love that they love it here, and that you love that they, they hear about certain things that, that make their lives better. But when it comes to you, you're just, you're just like, I'm just not ready for that. It's entirely possible to sit in these rows year after year and, and never put your hope and your trust and surrender your life to Jesus. I had a mentor named Martin. And, and Martin was one of the most passionate followers of Jesus I knew. But before he became a follower of Jesus, he started going to church uh, when he got married because his wife wanted to go to church. And he said, okay. And they raised some kids in church. And, 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 and he was there long enough, and he played the part long enough, and he was a, a nice enough guy that people just kind of assumed he was all about God's kingdom. And he eventually was, was elected to the church governing board. And until, it wasn't until one day that he read a book and he realized that he'd been sitting in these rows for years, but had never surrendered his life to Jesus. And finally then he surrendered his life to Jesus. Maybe you're here and you are a follower of Jesus and you realize, yeah, I've gotten the Jesus saves me through his gospel, through grace, through his death on the cross. I love that, but I've never been about the for his kingdom portion. If that's you, I just want to encourage you to take a step. It can be easy to, to hear this and see how Saul gave the rest of his life away and, and expended it for the sake of the gospel and think, man, what am I doing with my life? And it can become so overwhelming that we never do anything. I don't 
don't want you to do that. I just want you to encourage you to ask God just what is your next step to take? Maybe you've been sitting in this rose and, 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 and you've never gotten plugged in here and you've never helped by, by, by serving in, in first impressions or with kids or with teenagers or doing anything else or music or tech. Maybe, maybe God's just saying, listen, invest some time here. Be about what God's kingdom is, is, is how it's spreading here in South Davis County. Maybe it's those neighbors that you know God has put on your heart and, and you're supposed to be building bridges and they've invited you to the community events and, and you feel like you'd be an outsider, but, but, but you, you feel like, man, I'm supposed to be going to these things and I'm supposed to be building bridges. Maybe you just say yes to the next invite or you invite a neighbor over for dinner. Maybe you're in a small group and you love, you love your small group and it's, it's great just the way it is. But you've heard about this multiplication, how we've got just so many people and not enough room in small groups for them. Maybe... Maybe you'll be a part of multiplying your small group and, and you say, man, I'll go with a new small group or I'll lead a new small group in my neighborhood because I know we need to make room for people who are new to, to this thing called faith and, and, and maybe don't even know Jesus yet. Maybe it's setting aside financial resources that you are going to spend on yourself and investing them in God's kingdom and seeing his gospel spread around South Davis County and around the world. Just take one step to say, God, what is that first step you're asking me to take? Because Jesus saves us through his gospel and for his kingdom. Listen, this is really the story of Acts. Right, we're, in verse, we're in chapter 9 now, but, but if you just read, just take some time and read to the end. The story of Acts is, is about the church, the big C church, the collective gatherings of followers of Jesus who spend their lives, who realize that Jesus has saved them through the gospel and for this kingdom. That he intends to use them and expending their lives and giving their lives and, and sacrificing and loving people when it's hard. This is the story of Acts and this has been the story of the church for 2,000 years. Listen, a year and a half ago, my family, we moved down here to Davis County. We didn't, we didn't move down here to be part of a church that just had a great children's program. We do. We didn't move down here just to have a place where we liked the music. Man, we love it. Sing the favorite songs. But, but we didn't come down here just to be comfortable. We came down here to be a part of a gathering of followers of Jesus who were passionate about seeing people understand the same grace that they had received themselves. May it be so here at Flourishing Grace. May we be a people so enraptured by the grace of God and so amazed at what God has done in our lives, where we ourselves were murderers and enemies of God and he transformed our lives that we just can't keep it to ourselves and we would spend the rest of our lives expending and spending our lives for the sake of God's kingdom so that people who are far from God can hear the name of Jesus. May it be so at Flourishing Grace. Let me pray. God, you know the times in my life when, when I forget that you have saved me, not just for my, my own benefit, but you have put your patience on display in my life for others to see that they would come to know you and that they would glorify the name of Jesus. God, you know the opportunities you've put in my path that I have said no to. You know the opportunities that you've, you've put in my way and the people you've brought into my life where I've said, ah, I just don't know if I can do that. God, I am sorry for those things. And 
and, and, and all of us that can bring to mind. So God, I pray that this week, as we consider the grace that you have given us, the mercy you have shown us, the work you've done on our behalf through Jesus on the cross. I pray that we'd be mindful that you saved us for your kingdom. And that God, that you would use us, that you would work in our lives so that we could spend our lives helping people who are far from God, who don't understand that there is a God of grace who came not to condemn the world, but to save the world through Jesus. Thank you. May it be so in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Let all the people say, amen.